Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. continuing uh, a study in the Gospel of Luke. If you have been with us, we took a little break there for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, but we are back studying uh, through the book of Luke. And this morning, our passage is one that at first glance uh, doesn't appear to have much to it. It's five short verses in in, uh, Luke chapter 6 and is pretty much a list of names. Uh, But, you know, I, I was praying this week, and I just felt like, hey, this is here for a reason, and I, I think we can learn something from this. So um, we'll, we'll uh, dig in a little bit and see where we have to go. So the, the title this morning, go ahead, there we go, is The Twelve. I couldn't even come up with a very catchy title today, so just The Twelve, because there's 12 people involved. Uh, but let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the text. Lord, thanks for uh, your word, and I pray you would open our hearts to receive today, that you would cause us to be enriched and to grow and to deepen our faith uh, from your word today. Amen. All right. Uh, Luke 6, 12, uh, I think it's, I think it's uh, 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountaintop, mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Um... Statistics on church growth are a little sketchy, sometimes hard to track, but rough estimates uh, around 2011, which was the probably the most reliable current uh, numbers, there were a little over 2 billion, about 2.1 billion Christians in the world. Um, at that same time, there were about 6.8 billion people in the world. So roughly, just just under a third of the world's population uh, would be um, identified, self-identified as being Christian. There are Christian churches on every continent, and uh, not in every nation, but in the vast majority of nations, there are Christian churches. And I bring that up to say that it started with 12 guys. It was Jesus, and he calls these 12 people to him and designates them apostles. They start the church, and the growth of the church uh, is documented in Luke's volume 2, the book of Acts, and then it spreads from there, and so here we are a couple thousand years later with uh, over 2 billion people, a third of the world's population following after Jesus. Uh, He calls his disciples, and he designates 12 of them as apostles. 
sometimes when we read scripture, uh, we, those two words are used interchangeably, disciple and apostle, but they're really not interchangeable even in the New Testament and certainly not uh, today. A disciple basically is a follower of Jesus. Anybody who said, I'm going to follow after Jesus, that's the direction of my life. Uh, and you can be a new follower of Jesus or an old follower of Jesus. You can be a mature follower of Jesus or an immature follower of Jesus. You may be, um, you know, very, very committed to that process or maybe not as committed, but you're still a disciple if that's the general direction your life is going in. Um, whereas a, an apostle is something a little different. So Jesus, uh, at the point of Luke's writing here, has uh, a number of people following him, not just these 12. Uh, they were all disciples. They were following after Jesus. And he says, hey, I want uh, you, 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 and you to come with me. And he says, I'm going to make you guys apostles. And an apostle literally means sent one. That's what the literal translation is, sent one. But it really is a, a designation given to, the, given to those who are uh, catalytic and who sort of launch a movement, launch something, uh, start something big in the presence of God, something bigger than, you know, just maybe even a single church or a home group or something like that. Um, so in the, uh, in the New Testament, the term apostle is used of these original 12 and then uh, later of Matthias, who replaces Judas. Uh, that term is used of the Apostle Paul, who was added to that group. And then it was also used of a few select others. If you want to go to the next slide there. Paul's writing in the book of Romans. He says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So Paul's in prison with a couple people who he also says are apostles. So the group uh, was a little bit larger than, than the original 12. I think it's worth mentioning here. Uh, Junia is a woman. And so even in the early days of the uh, New Testament church, there were female leaders involved in the process. Uh, so, again, scripturally, in the New Testament, the term apostle is used for those people that were catalytic in the beginning of the church. It's still used today uh, somewhat. I, I always, it's, it's a weird term for me. When I read, I look at like a, the cover of Charisma magazine or something, and you see a conference, and there's apostle so-and-so is going to be speaking there. I just go, Okay, how does that person become an apostle? Um, so, so it's an interesting thing to think about today. I like to think of someone sometimes as having an apostolic ministry, maybe, rather than being, quote, an apostle. But you could probably think big A, little A, whatever. But there are apostolic people in the world. Uh, now, uh, this group that Jesus calls to himself here is uh, a very, very diverse group. It's, we talk a lot today... It's weird, just in the last 10 years or so, diversity has sort of become this catchphrase in the church. And we're focused on diversity in the church. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, I don't know, it seems like Jesus was focused on diversity from day one. Um, uh, we've met Peter, James, and John already, along with Peter's brother Andrew. They are fishermen. Um, they are working class heroes, Right? They're guys that are waking up early every day. Uh, they've got calloused hands and sunburned faces and probably say a cuss word once in a while. Uh, that's just what fishermen do. 
Uh, we've also met Matthew. Now, Matthew, you may recall, uh, is a tax collector. As such, he is kind of in cahoots with the Roman government. So Matthew is somebody who, generally speaking, is not well-liked among his peers. Other Jews are probably not super happy about him. Uh, And then Jesus uh, calls this fellow named Simon the Zealot as part of this group. Zealots were a kind of far-right political group who were working in opposition to the Roman uh, government and the Roman domination of the Jewish people. And they were subversive and uh, were known to... uh, Zealots had at different times actually assassinated tax collectors. So... In this little group of 12 people, you have kind of what would be extremists on both sides of the spectrum. And Jesus brought them together. Hello? They they were a very odd collection of folk. And yet, the thing they shared in common, the unifying factor among them, is that they were all following Jesus. And it strikes me that we are not called to be liberal or conservative. We're not called to be left or right. We're not called to be blue-collar or white-collar. We're not called to be any of the other arbitrary sorts of designations that somebody somewhere might put on us. We are called to look like Jesus. We're called to talk like Jesus and walk like Jesus and follow Jesus and live like Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is about radical inclusion. It's about looking for ways to welcome people in. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about being inclusive and not exclusive. It's about tearing down walls and tearing down barriers and opening up doors and making a place at the table and allowing for people that have differences of of opinion and differences of thought and differences of all kinds of things to come together around the common cause of following after Jesus. It really is very much about what the Apostle John saw in his vision on Patmos in the book of Revelation, if you go to that for me. You remember John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not divisive. It's not coercive. It's not segregated. There is no back of the bus. There is no cheap seats. It's about making a place at the table for everyone. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what he did when he called uh, this little group together. He was intentional in bringing together people from different backgrounds and different traditions and different places in life. Jesus, uh, Jesus chose a very diverse group of people to start the church. I I think there are uh, a few questions raised by this text and I um, 
since, since I'm up here, I'm going to ask the questions and then I'll answer them. Fair? Someday I'll let you guys ask questions and then I'll answer them, but that's a lot harder. Answering my own questions is easier. Uh, there's a few things that uh, struck me about it. One is um, 12. Why 12? Why not 11 or 13 or 7 or 15? Why, why 12, guys? Was that important? Second question, probably maybe the most significant one, why Judas? What happened there? Third, third question is why specifically this group of people? Is there something about them? Uh, so why 12 apostles? Uh, I am not, let me preface, uh, I'm not a biblical numerology guy. Sometimes I read these books and, you know, you see sevens mean this and nine and every, every number of everything has some sort of meaning. I don't know about that. That's, that's uh, I don't get it. But, but I will say this, I do, I do think that there is uh, significance in the appointment of 12 apostles. Uh, based on this, the, the um, Israelites were descended from Jacob. Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who became uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. They were sort of the founding fathers of Israel. And so Jesus here is making a very uh, profound statement by sort of putting himself in the place of God and, and saying, what I am doing by pulling these 12 people together is reestablishing the people of God in the world today. So there were 12 tribes that represented God, and today I'm taking these 12 people to represent God, and they will be the ones that start my church. Israel's role uh, in the Old Testament was to be the representative of God in the world. And their job was to embrace the presence of God in their own lives and to come into God's presence as God's people, but then to invite and welcome everybody else in. Uh, You know, they were to carry the presence of God and then distribute the presence of God. And the role of the apostles is the same. Now Jesus is saying, these guys... They will, they will draw close to God. They will know who I am. They will come into my presence. And then they too will go out and make me known to others. And that's the job of the church. And that's our job today. Uh, that has not changed. That role has not changed from the day of uh, the appointment of these 12 apostles to this day today, here and now. That's what the church is to be about. Uh, we say that here that we are blessed to be a blessing, and that's exactly what that means. The core, the heart of the gospel message is that you're invited. You're invited. I have found something amazing, and I want you to know what I know. I want you to experience what I experience. I want to welcome you. There's no prerequisite. There's no qualification. Our role as kingdom people really is to receive everything God has for us and then to share that with those around us. Um, that's, that's an important dynamic in the kingdom of God, and it's one that Israel uh, forgot, and that, that's the tragedy of the Old Testament, is that Israel forgot. They did not often see themselves as the servants of God and the servants of others. They often saw themselves as the righteous judges of the world. And, and they, they understood being chosen as God's people, but they forgot the part about now share that with everybody else. And the tragedy of the church today is that sometimes, oops, we do the same thing. 
Sometimes the church sees itself as the guardian of all that's right and good and the judge of everybody else. That's not really our job. That's not what God called us to do. Our job is to make Jesus known to the people around us. To tell those that may be different than you and me how much God loves them and welcome them to the table as well. Israel never completed the call of God in their lives. They got close a few times, but inevitably went sideways every time. So Jesus came to fulfill that. That became his mission, and that's why he called these 12 to be apostles, that they might launch his church and fulfill the thing that God had been about from the very beginning. So second question, uh, why Judas? Why, why would Jesus choose a guy who was going to betray him? Did You wonder, I mean I wonder, maybe you don't. It seems to me Jesus has discernment. He has tremendous insight into the lives of people and things going on around him. Could he not have known that this was going to happen? I guess maybe a deeper question is, was this a foregone conclusion? Was Judas destined to rebel and betray Jesus from the very beginning? Go ahead and look at the next slide. In John 17, just later on, if you have time, go read John 17. It's Jesus' prayer. Uh, It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. We call uh, the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer, but really that's the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. But in the context of that prayer, he's, he's, again, this is a prayer to God. He says, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. And none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So this is before the betrayal. So there's some insight that this would happen. Uh, By the way, just... Parenthetically there, the uh, doomed destruction, the word is actually son of destruction. That's what that word literally means. And it's not a uh, designation of somebody's family line so much as it is a statement about their nature and their character. For example, Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunder. Well, they were not mythological people whose father was thunder, they were uh, kind of rowdy. That's why they got that name. They were sort of like the sons of anarchy, only without motorcycles. So Judas was the son of destruction. So there may have been some predisposition in his life that led him this way. It's it's a challenging text to me because Jesus spends the night praying, all right? So anytime you pray, probably fasting and pray for an extended period of time, you, you're, if you've ever done that, your sensitivity to the presence of God kind of elevates. You have the opportunity to clear your mind and clear your heart and sort of leave behind all the other stuff and really focus. And that's what Jesus did. He spends the whole night praying and And then he comes and calls these 12. Could he not have known? Or did he know? And I don't know. Those are questions we probably can't answer. I think 
to me, there's a more important question. And that is, did Judas know? What happened to Judas? Was this his plan from the beginning? Or did something go wrong along the way? I'm going to advocate for something going wrong along the way. When people began looking to Jesus as the Messiah, they were under the belief that Jesus would come and overturn the Roman government and free Israel from the captivity that they were under and restore them to their proper place as God's chosen people. That was the belief. By the time they got to the garden, it was becoming very clear that that was not going to happen. Whatever we thought about this guy, that's not it. Something else is going on here. I have to wonder if somewhere along the way in that process, if Judas didn't become disillusioned. If the thing that he had signed up for wasn't happening, if Jesus was proving to not be the person that he thought he would be. Verse 16, if you go to that, says that he became a traitor. Somewhere along the way, I believe, Judas's heart changed. And I want to say this, spiritual warfare is a powerful thing. Spiritual warfare is an intense reality. It's an intense dynamic. Uh, temptation is an intense dynamic. The enemy is a deceitful, lying, sneaky person. And th- there is tremendous spiritual force at play in our hearts and in our minds all the time. People change. Uh, we, we see in Scripture, okay, so Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, of the Apostle Paul, are all people that initially were opposed to Jesus. They were against Jesus at one point in their life, but something about him caused them to turn their hearts towards him. So, what happened to Judas? Here's the thing. I I don't know what went wrong. And I don't know what caused Judas to change his heart and his mind, but what what I know is this, it happened. And if it can happen to a guy who spends every day for three years with Jesus, it can happen to anybody. So what do we learn from this text? I think we learn stay close to Jesus. Stay close to people that are close to Jesus. Don't allow the enemy to begin to play on your unmet expectations. As we go through life, there will be times when God will not respond the way that we think he should. There will be those times when we will want desperately for God to move on a certain person or situation, and he won't. There will be those times when our hearts will be broken at the loss of friends and family and other things. And we will be disappointed. We may get angry at God, but I want to say, 
Stay close to him. Don't allow those things to cause our hearts to be hardened and to turn away. Let, let, let me say this. This is the beauty. This, this to me is what church is about. That when those times happen, it's okay. It's okay to say, I hurt right now. It's okay to say, I'm disillusioned right now. It's okay to say, I don't understand. It's okay to say, this isn't the way I thought it was going to go. That's what we're here for. It's not a lack of faith to say, I don't understand what God is doing right now. That's what the church is about. That's what we're for. And that's what we have to do. We have to have that place. It ha- we say church is a safe place. It has to really be a safe place. It has to be a safe place when we're angry. It has to be a safe place when we're hurt. It has to be a safe place when we don't understand why God is doing what God's doing. Because if we don't, we end up like that. Somewhere along the line, Judas became a traitor. Why these guys? Um, there were others there. There, there was, by this point in time, a, a larger group of people following Jesus. And he calls out these 12. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just say by some standards they may not have been the best choices okay um, let's just if you're, if you're HR for a company your job is to hire people you want the best candidates available so you're going to get some resumes from people and you're going to look through those resumes and just based on piece of paper on reading what they've put down without ever meeting them, you're going to disqualify some off the top. Then you're going to take the other ones that you think might possibly be good and you're going to do an interview with those people. And based on that one interview, you will disqualify a few more, but now you've narrowed the field down a little bit. So you will call those folks back for a second interview and you'll ask a little more in-depth questions. You may follow up with some sort of a personality test or something like that. You may even narrow that field down a little bit further and call people back for a third interview. You're going to do everything within your power to make the best choice that you can for your company. Now, not to be critical, but I'm thinking that some of these guys weren't the best of the best. That's just my thoughts. Could not a disc or an Enneagram have predicted Judas's betrayal? It's just a question. Peter is the rock, and he denies Jesus three times. James and John wanted to burn down a whole city. Thomas doubted. And Jesus chose them all. He prayed all night, and he said, these are the guys I want. So here's what I think. First of all, I love the diversity of the group, that Jesus uh, chose people from various different places in life. The second thing I love about this group is their ordinariness. Can we be honest? We're not all the best of the best either. 
we're not all top shelf. We're, we are not all the most qualified. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Jesus chose us. Everyone really is welcome. I, I mean, I look, those guys are so real. They're so real. They did doubt. They, they, they messed up regularly. Everyone is welcome. Not only is everyone welcome, everyone is valued. Every single person has inestimable value in the eyes of God. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is valued. Everyone can make a contribution to the kingdom of God. Nobody is excluded from that process. That's who God is. That's what God does. He makes a way. He makes a place. Here's the thing. They were a diverse crew. And here's what I love about them. And, and, and this really is, I guess, the bottom line is they all said yes. They all said yes. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the uh, rich young guy who came to Jesus and said, hey, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, well, just keep the commandments. He goes, oh, no, I do that. I've always done that. No problem. Oh, well, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then follow me. Ooh, wait a minute. Time out. Can't do that. And he went away, either mad or sad, depending upon which translation you read. Either way, he went away. There were another, there's another guy Jesus called one time. He goes, well, wait a minute. I, I got some other stuff to do. Family business, take care of my dad, die. We got to do this and that. And it, uh, can't right now. But these guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, Judas, all said, yes, I'll do it. I'm in. It could be tough. It could, it could be challenging at times. Definitely a redirect. Wherever your life is headed up to now, it's going to be different from here out. Your plans, your job, your future all just got altered. You are not going to get up and just go fishing every day anymore. You are not going to just sit in the tax booth and listen to snarky comments from people walking by anymore. Now we have some other business to attend to. Um, That was a courageous decision. Yep, I'll do it. I'll do it. I think they knew there was going to be sacrifice involved. I think they knew it wouldn't always be easy. Uh, It's still not easy, is it? Still, still not easy to say yes to Jesus all the time. There's still a sacrifice to be made. There were, I suppose, in that group that day, uh, when Jesus called them out, a lot of people who were on the periphery, kind of looking in from the outside, people who were curious, people who wanted to sort of check it out, but they were not really ready to say yes. Yes, I'm in. Um, and I guess, you know, I mean, for us, what camp are we in? Uh, do we, do we want to check it out? Do we want to see what Jesus' next trick is going to be? And look, sometimes, I mean, I encounter people like that. They just kind of want to see what Jesus' next trick is going to be. 
Or do we want to say, yeah, you know what, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever it means, I'll follow Jesus. I, you know, even if he leads me places I don't want to go. And Jesus told Peter, I'm going to take you places you don't want to go. Even if he doesn't meet all of my expectations, even if he doesn't do everything I think he should do, even if I find out along the way that his plan and his agenda are a little different than my plan and my agenda, I'm still going to say, yes, I will follow after Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.